We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report, your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. Usaid, we are recording this episode on April 7th. It's a Wednesday here, so second episode of the week, man. How are we doing today? I am doing well. I'm excited. Draft is about two weeks from tomorrow because we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. So we're really closing in here. It's going to be interesting to see all the news that comes out break it down on here but how are you yeah doing really well uh i think we've been covering this you know a lot in the past but just counting down the days that we get to the draft man that's that's where my mindset is when it terms to in terms of uh you know the nfl here because free agency we had that big trade with sam donald a few days ago but other than that i mean it's really slowing down uh but you know i think what we're in right now is a lot of speculation season and the speculation about, you know, what's going on, what's going to be happening at the top of the draft, because you just don't know what's going to be going on there, especially with San Francisco training up. We still don't know what they're doing up there at that quarterback position. So there's just a lot going on right now, a lot to unpack that hopefully when the draft comes around, uh, we get some answers there, obviously. It's going to be interesting because if you look at the news that came out today, actually, it was at the 49ers brass. And obviously they traded three first round picks essentially 
to move up to that third overall pick, but they're going to be at Ohio State's second pro day. John Lynch is going to be there. The GM, Kyle Shanahan, is going to be there, and they're going to look at Fields, the quarterback, obviously. And so you see that report, and then it makes you wonder, what are the 49ers going to do at third overall? Because yesterday, just 24 hours ago, Adam Schefter of ESPN's reporting, hey, I'd be shocked if the 49ers don't select Mac Jones at third overall. And so now you look at it, what are the implications? Is that do you see Lawrence Wilson Fields go one, two, three, or do you see Lawrence Wilson Mac Jones? And obviously for a lot of fans out there, their whole thing is, oh, well, Mac Jones not good enough to go third overall. But we have to understand is that teams don't care about what you think regarding a quarterback prospect. Because if a specific quarterback like Mac Jones fits a certain offensive system, then a certain team like the 49ers is going to have that prospect ranked higher than another team, for example. And I think when we look at that, we have to realize that with where the 49ers are at, yeah, they're committed to Jimmy Garoppolo for 2021, but they're going to take a quarterback. That's why you gave up three first-round picks. And it's just going to come down to – do they feel more comfortable with Mac Jones or Justin Fields? And I honestly think something just tells me it's going to be Mac Jones. I don't know what it is, but I just have a sneaky suspicion it's going to be Mac Jones because all it takes is one quarterback or one crazy selection to make the draft completely fall out of order. Yeah, I would say this. If Mac Jones does go end up going number three to the 49ers, the entire draft is just going to be in complete chaos for the rest of the top 10, I, I think, because obviously that leaves Trey Lance and Justin Fields on the board for these NFL teams. And Atlanta's going to get a huge offer uh, if that's the case when if both of those guys are on the board, uh, because you know, some teams may value Trey Lance higher than others, or some teams may uh, value Justin Fields higher or lower than others. But with both of them on the board at that point, I mean, the, the Falcons could get an absolute haul um, at that number four spot. So, yeah, the 49ers, I still can't wrap my head around it just because of the fact that, you know, Mac Jones, I just, I just don't see it at number three, especially when you're trading away two future first-round picks for him. I just, I just can't process that, you know, it seems for some reason, but uh, the more we talk about this thing, the more it seems likely to happen, which is just crazy to me. And, and you know, M Schefter, basically, he didn't confirm it or anything, but he basically was like, you know, he basically, be- he believes that Mac Jones is going to 49ers at three. And when M Schefter puts that nugget out there, there's gotta be some smoke to it. So it's uh We'll see what happens there. It'll be very interesting because when that does happen, I mean, Carolina, I think they might be out of the quarterback market right now, but, you know, Detroit's going to be looking for a quarterback, New England, Washington, you know, other team, Denver, uh, maybe Minnesota might be in there for the quarterback market as well. You know, there's a lot of teams that need quarterbacks and obviously the bears, I think they're going to be aggressive as well to try and trade up in the top 10 for a quarterback. If the guy does start to slip a little bit. So uh, it, it could throw the entire draft to a frenzy, but that's what makes it fun at the end of the day. Uh, some Bears news real quick before we get into the main topics of today's episode. Uh, Anthony Miller, it's been reported that he's back on the trade market. It was kind of reported earlier in the offseason, but nothing's obviously come about with that. You know, you say to me, it's one of two things here now that's getting uh, floated out there again. Either a team is close to making a deal for Anthony Miller or the Bears just aren't getting the type of offers they're looking to see. So they're trying to kind of play this thing through the media to try and kind of gets a little bit of leverage here, it seems like to me. Miller's interesting because I know when we first saw the report of 
well, he could potentially be traded. It was Adam Schefter that kind of dropped that nugget. And I said, I was just like, look, Miller's kind of a failed project in this sense because you invested a second round pick into him. You traded back into the second round in 2018 to go get him giving up a future 2019 first round pick. And he hasn't panned out. He was a top five wide receiver for a lot of people in the 2018 draft, but just the inconsistencies have been there and they've been super prevalent. And you combine that with some of his antics and then you realize there's a lot to question about him. But at this point with where the bears are at, we have to understand something. They're just trying to unload a guy that's going to go into a contract year, essentially, because Anthony Miller is an expiring asset at this point. They're trying to unload a guy going into a contract year and just get whatever they can from him because we know that the Bears have done their homework on guys in this draft class, right, on wide receivers specifically. I mean, they met with Dwayne Eskridge, which something tells me the Bears are going to be taking a wide receiver on day three here. And so ultimately you look at that and you realize with Miller, like they, I think at this point would be lucky to get a fourth or fifth round pick for him, which again, if you're the bears, it's just the best case scenario for you, or maybe even a conditional pick, but just getting something to get rid of a guy who unfortunately has not panned out. Yeah. It does suck that Miller has a pan out because you kind of talk about him being a top receiver in that 2018 draft class. You know, for me personally, that was like my first year really getting into the draft um, and really just breaking down uh, the players in the draft and kind of doing my rankings and all that stuff. Anthony Miller was my number one wide receiver in that class. So it's kind of like a heartbreaking thing to kind of see him not pan out the way I, I want him to. And it's it definitely isn't talent because we've seen him have big games and big, nice stretches of play in the past um, for the Bears here. But like you said, the consistency just isn't hasn't been there. And then you went to the fact that he's getting thrown out of a playoff game when the coaches are specifically telling him, Hey, you know, Johnson Gardner Johnson is going to talk some major trash, like don't fall for it. And he, and he does it. So yeah, some of that stuff is just in inexcusable. You know, part of me thinks that, you know, him going into a contract year, maybe you can get the best out of him for one more year and just let him leave for a comp compensatory pick in the 2022 off season. Part of me thinks about that, but uh, that depends on what you can get for him in a trade, because if you're getting like a seventh or sixth round pick in the future or something like that, I, I'm not sure it's maybe worth giving him up at this point, just because of the fact that any Dalton, he's a guy that needs receivers. He, need, he needs weapons um, to throw to. He's not a guy that's going to elevate talent, but if you give him good talent, he can make it work. And Anthony Miller seems like a type of guy that could work well with Andy Dalton here, but I wouldn't be opposed to trading him if they can get like, a fifth round pick, I'd say, I think that would be the ideal trade value either this year or next year. If it can be, be this year, that would be um, a very good value, I think, for Ryan Pace. But it's also, you know, it could be the situation where both parties just need a clean break at this point and just go their separate ways, which could definitely be possible. It is. And I think that for where the Bears are at, we have to understand that it's the roster that's going through transitions. When we look at that, we have to realize that like bad teams in this league hold on to assets and draft picks that they believe are eventually going to go ahead and make an impact. And so with the Bears, they have to come to a decision. It's just like, do you hold on to Miller or do you ship him out? What do you do with him essentially? Because they have both options on the table right now, it seems like. And I just think that for a guy who, again, he's been given three years, not much has materialized. You are have the same issues in certain cases that you had in year one that you're we saw at points in year three so ultimately for the bears it's just like 
this guy hasn't panned out. What are you going to do about it at this point? It's just like, just cut bait with him and move on. Or do you kind of put your chips on the table and say, you know what, it is better for us to go ahead and give this guy one more year. And I think that we're going to have to see a decision quickly because I just don't see a scenario where Anthony Miller is traded during the draft. I think that if he gets traded, it happens sometime over the next couple of days because the bears know if they're going to make a push for a quarterback, they know they need to have every single draft pick on the table, including some additional mid round picks that are going to be used to move up on draft night if they're looking to trade up for a quarterback. Yeah, another thing to, to uh, kind of factor into that too is that teams that are needy for wide receivers, you know, this is a very talented wide receiver draft. So, you know, if they end up are interested in Miller as of right now, but, you know, if they find a guy in the draft, then that kind of lowers Miller's value a little bit. So uh, it, it could be – there's an argument I think for both ways in terms of doing this now or waiting until after the draft and kind of seeing how everything settles there, because there probably will still be teams that are looking for wide receivers after the draft. But yeah, it it seems like Miller's going to be on his way out one way or another. It's just a matter of when and for what value. So, you know, we'll see what happens of that. Either way, the bears should be planning on drafting a wide receiver at some point in this draft with a significant draft pick as well. You know, in fact, they could probably draft one or two wide receivers probably as well. But, you know, we'll cover that more when we get to the wide receivers for our position previews. And that brings us to the topic for today's episode, and that's continuing our position previews today, breaking out the interior offensive line. But before we get into our preview for that, because obviously I think everyone knows how we're going to be breaking those down, uh, we have a special guest on today's episode, and that's defensive back D'Angelo Amos from Virginia that we were lucky enough to have on our podcast and kind of talk to and uh, for a brief little interview here. So what we're going to do here is we're going to sh- uh, get to our interview with D'Angelo Amos. And uh, after that, we're going to get into our preview for this upcoming 2021 NFL draft interior offensive line class. So here's our interview with D'Angelo Amos. All right, welcome into the Picks for Pace podcast here. We are here with D'Angelo Amos here from Virginia. Um, D'Angelo, I want to thank you again for uh, coming on the podcast with us. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Doing good myself. So I uh, just want to start here with the first question. Uh, take us through your time at James Madison, because obviously you started off there before uh, transferring over to Virginia. What experiences did you have there that kind of prepared you for your time at Virginia? And, you know, how did that shape you as a player overall? Uh, well, first, uh, it started off with me coming from West Point Prep and walking on to JMU. So just that process of having to earn a uh, scholarship uh, and push through that originally just at JMU, having put myself to Coach Houston, prepared me for just putting in the work, uh, first off, shaped me into a guy that's willing to do whatever it takes to help everybody win, prove myself. Uh, which is something I had to uh, do at UVA, you know, going around a bunch of guys that you don't really know, you never played with. Um, so you got to go in there, especially short notices, because I transferred late and basically proved to them that, you know, that I can play and that I, I can bring a lot of value and also they can depend on me. So going through that at JMU, um, the coaching staff going through two different coaching uh, changes, um, with going from Houston to Cincinnati, you know, playing on two different systems is like it helped me going into UVA because obviously I was going to another system. 
uh, once again, and it just helped me with speeding up my learning curve, uh, learning how to be productive and be successful in, in each uh, system, any scheme. And like I said, just learning and studying film. So you mentioned the different schemes, but how would you describe your overall style of play as a defensive back? Uh, I would say smart. Uh, and like I said, that refers back to that defense being under two, three different schemes. Um, like I said, you have to be smart. You have to learn how to study, how to be productive, and really understand the game. So I would definitely say my overall style is smart, assignment sound, uh, but also fearless just because uh, special teams as well, being a returner, especially in punt returner, you can't really be scared back there. I think that's the biggest um, asset and the biggest skill you can have and mindset to have as a returner is to be fearless, to not be afraid to take a hit or be afraid of messing up. You just go out there and do it. Um, and I bring that as well as a safety, you know, where I'm in the box, even with a lean frame, a smaller frame that I had, um, I wasn't afraid to, you know, go hit anybody or go fill in a gap. Now, you talk about having a, a smaller frame a, a little bit for the position. You know, what challenges have you overcome in order to get where you are today? You know, what do you anticipate will be a challenge for you moving forward as you kind of transition here to the NFL level? Um, I would say challenges, obviously, with for me, I mean, the weight really wasn't too much of a challenge while I was playing, especially at JMU. It became more prevalent uh, at UVA going against bigger backs or stronger backs like uh, Javante Williams at UNC. So that's when it, it hit to me that I had to, um, I had to, I had to put on a little bit of weight, especially if I'm gonna go up there with the big dogs in the NFL and, and still play my fearless style uh, in the run game. So just challenges like that, um, working on, on being uh, better in man coverage, uh, just because I, there wasn't too many times at JMU where I was in man coverage or at uh, UVA, not as much as I, I would, you would think. So just working on the things that I may have not got uh, many game time experience or reps with. So throughout your college career, and you can even go as far back as high school, whether it was high school, JMU, or even UVA, was there any particular coach or like set of coaches or even teammate that's had a major impact on you that you've learned some life lessons from? Oh, absolutely. Uh, just Coach Weaver, mo just first off, just because he stuck his neck out there on the line for me to come to JMU to walk on there under Coach Houston. So him, first off, he was always there, kind of always playing that big brother role uh, during his time there before he left. So him and Coach Trot, Coach Trot, uh, coached with Belichick before. So he had an old school style of, of teaching, broke everything down, make it very simple. You never did drills. You weren't going to do, do in the game or you never, it was, everything was efficient and, and broke down, took all the extra stuff out. So just teaching me how to watch film, um, teaching me the game a little bit. I came in very raw, just coming there and going based off of talent and just trying to make a play. So uh, those coaches impact me the most. Players, uh, definitely Jimmy Moreland, Rashad Robinson, Dimitri Holloway. Uh, Jimmy and Rashad both being the corners that I had in the boundary with me uh, the last two years uh, when I was starting at safety. Uh, they really taught me, once again, how to watch film, how to how to use uh, divider rules and, and just little bits of pieces to the game that gave them an advantage. They helped me and uh, Meech, um, Dimitri Holloway, linebacker, he's always been my linebacker. So our chemistry, our bond that we had 
uh, made it easy for me to do my job because I knew he was going to do his as well. Are there any, uh, speaking about, uh, you know, watching film and, and, you know, trying to learn some other things for your, your game to develop here, you know, are there any DBs in the NFL that you like to study or kind of mold your game after um, at the NFL level? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I kind of take bits and pieces from everybody, but I think the main three would be probably Jamal Adams uh, when it comes to fitting in the run game and playing in the box. Uh, I love the way the way he plays the game and how he understands what old linemen are doing, how they shift their weight, uh, just little details and little mannerisms that he can see that helps him be that great uh, safety in the box. Um, Eddie Jackson in coverage, he's kind of that versatile guy that can really follow somebody in the nickel, play corner, uh, deep safety, kind of do it all. So just him and man coverage, I love the way he plays, how he can uh, really go get the ball and create takeaways. And I think Mika Fitzpatrick will probably be my my third um, just because he can do it all too. He has the speed, he has the size. Um, but when it comes to being in zone, he's always finding a way around the ball, uh, knowing where the quarterback is going to go, reading routes around him. So those will probably be my top three. So you mentioned Jimmy Moreland. I want to kind of talk about him because I know you guys were teammates, right? But have you been in contact with Jimmy at all, just in terms of, hey, what was the pre-draft process like for you? Have you gotten any advice for him? Like, talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah, we, we've talked, uh, like I said, we, we laugh and joke. Uh, one thing about Jimmy is Jimmy is a character. He loves to play. Uh, but, um, we definitely talk, um, whether it was about games, uh, that he's played in games I'm playing in just everything going through that process, even, uh, his family, you know, uh, growing his family. So, uh, we've definitely talked uh, about the draft process. Um, he kind of just, you know, let it be my own, you know, go through it. I have a, a older brother who's went through it as well. So I've really leaned on him more so than anybody else. But uh, definitely been in contact with just how things are played and how he feels about being in the league. Yeah, and kind of piggybacking off of it, you know, what are some of the things that you've been kind of working on Oh, during this pre-draft process in terms of any physical or technical, you know, what are some of the things that you're trying to prepare for here as we get closer to the NFL draft? Um, just moving with more weight. Like I said, I know uh, talking with teams, uh, you know, they, you know, we would, they would like to see more weight. So I did that, I showed the pro day um, heavier. Uh, so just being able to move with that weight, um, working on man coverage, like I said, staying fundamentally sound um, in everything I do. Uh, put make sure my feet are in the right place. My mechanics are good. Being just a, a smooth guy, um, and then also just a part of it, uh, the mental part of it for me was just breaking down every scheme, offense, defense on, uh, and just every all thirty two teams in the league, um, just so I'm prepared for anything. And like I said, no matter where I end up, you know, you got to play somebody. So just being prepared and just starting that film study early. So, as you know, Chicago's always been a defense first town, and we love our defensive players here, especially for those of us that cover the team. But what should Bears fans know about D'Angelo Amos? Um, I would first thing I would say is that I make plays. It may, I know it's uh, really tailored to defense, but uh, just in general, you know, I find a way to make plays. You know, I, I try to help and, and build up a standard. 
uh, like I said, if, if it's a standard that needs changing, obviously I know the coaches have an organization that's trying to do that, and I'm and always going to help that. I'm always going to be somebody that they can depend on to lift that up and uphold that standard, you know, uh, as I make plays, but also just being dependable, uh, holding people accountable, um, and just being real resilient, you have some grit, some willpower to, you know, make things work and find a way to give our team a W. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know, last thing for us here, D'Angelo, um, we kind of get one a sense of, you know, what NFL teams you've been in contact with specifically, you know, this is a Chicago bears podcast. If you've had any contact with them or met with them or anything, obviously, but you know, to go on with that, you know, what are some of the things that teams are telling you in terms of uh, what your role will be at the next level and how they see your fit in their defenses? Um, a lot of them have been pretty much the same, but uh, I just tell them, you know, I'm prepared to play wherever, whatever role it is that gives our team a W in that column uh, one week at a time. Um, you know, I'm willing to play that role, uh, whether I've played nickel, I've played down before. Like I said earlier, uh, coming into JMU, I started off as a corner. So uh, playing safety too. So playing both safety, you know, it's whatever role fits best to help us, you know, get a win and, Whatever that is, I'm willing to do it. Absolutely. Well, D'Angelo, I want to thank you once again for your time here on our podcast, kind of share your time with us. Uh, good luck when the draft comes along. You know, it's coming up quick, so definitely got yeah. to be very exciting. So best of luck, and uh, hopefully you hear your name called uh, when draft, draft day comes around. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on the show. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. That was a great interview we had with D'Angelo Amos. Uh, we wish him the best of luck as he continues along this pre-draft process. Uh, you know, he's going to be a guy that could be in play for the Bears here. You look at it here because, you know, defensive back, the Bears, they need safety. And, of course, they're looking for guys that are versatile as well. And Amos definitely does bring a lot of that to the table. All right, you said, let's get into our breakdown and preview of this year's interior offensive line class. So these are centers guards all those guys in there let's start off with our top five guys at those at those spots uh we'll kind of combine them for this one though just because you know a lot of these guys play multiple positions in the interior here so you said i'll start with you who are your top five interior offensive linemen in this draft number one i have white davis from ohio state university i know he got injured in the championship game but just throughout his time at osu you saw him being impactful right guard just a player that's really powerful and impactful when it comes to the point of attack. I really think at the next level, he's going to be a mauler in the run game. Then I have Creed Humphrey at number two from Oklahoma, a guy who obviously is an average athlete in my eyes, but is really smart, really instinctive, had about 40 starts in college. So the experience that is going to bode really well for him as he makes the jump to the next level Humphrey overall is just a big and physical offensive lineman that I think can develop into a cornerstone piece and a guy you build around on the offensive line. And then number three, I have Lane Dickerson from Alabama. The versatility that Dickerson brings is 
among the best in this offensive line class because he started at Florida State, transferred to Alabama. He's played, when you do research on his background, he's played every single position, which means that at the next level, teams can pretty much, depending on the scheme they're running, fit him into anywhere, and he can be a plug-and-play type guy. Dickerson may have some issues moving in space, but he's big, he's tough, and he's physical, which I think is just a mold that you've seen out of some of these Alabama offensive linemen out of the last couple of years. And then number four, I have Ben Cleveland from Georgia. And Ben Cleveland's interesting because he's got like 34-inch arms. So the arm length, definitely one of the biggest strengths that he has. He really shuts down some of those pass rusher moves very quickly. And he's just got really refined technique and excellent hand placement. And then number five, the last guy that I have is Josh Myers from Ohio State. And Myers is certainly interesting to me because I think that at the next level, while he's only going to be a center, he obviously is very big and physical. Then I think he'll be a guy that fits best into a zone scheme, right? But in a passing offense, right, if you're a team that runs a lot of shotgun, Josh Myers is going to be the ideal center for your offense. Interesting. So I have a little bit of a different list here. So I'm going to go with my number one here, and that's Elijah Vera Tucker, guard out of USC. Interesting about uh, Vera Tucker. Uh, he played tackle this last year, left tackle at USC. So he's a guy that uh, was kind of seen as like a versatile, you know, left tackle guard hybrid type of player going into this thing. But I think he projects better to guard. He doesn't have the arm length uh, to play at that left side, but uh, I think he has some of the best tape in his class for any offensive lineman. Uh, he's very smooth getting on the space. I think he's perfect for a zone scheme um, at the next level. And the same goes for my number two guy, and it's Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma. You kind of mentioned it. Uh, maybe not a, a great athlete or elite athlete, but he's just very fundamentally sound. He has a wrestling background, so he just knows how to use leverage and positioning to his advantage. Uh, you can just tell on those zone blocks that he just knows how to get in the right position while this guy off. So while he's not going to overpower too many people at the point of attack, uh, you know, he's definitely not a liability there. I think he's one of the safest, if not the safest prospect in this class. I got to see him down at the senior bowl. Uh, he was just a stud overall. Uh, he's one of the best players in this class, in my opinion, if you're just looking for day one impact and the guy's going to be a long-term starter and you're pretty comfortable with that for the next 10 years or so. So Creed Humphrey's my number two guy. Number three, Lennon Dick Dickerson. You kind of talked about his versatility there. Uh, you know, in terms of just the tape, I th I'd say that Landon Dickerson has the best tape out of any offensive lineman uh, in the interior, I should say, in this class. So he's probably the best center in this class, just purely on tape. Now, the issue with that is we talked about a little bit in our last episode with Jalen Phillips, how injuries and uh, you know concussions issues could cause him to kind of fall down draft boards. It's kind of doing the same thing here with Dickerson, where I'm a little bit more concerned with Dickerson because he's never finished a full season healthy, at least I believe. Um, you know, he's had major injuries, it seems like, every single year of his college career. So, you know, can he stay healthy at the next level? That's really the main thing because when he's on the field, this guy's a badass and he just gets after and he just mauls people to death here um, in the interior of your offensive line. So it's just a matter of can he stay on the field because when he's on the field, he's dominant. So that's really what it's all about. Number four guy, one of my favorite players in this class, and this guy that I was exposed to down at the Senior Bowl, I think a lot of people know who I'm talking about. That's Quinn Miners out of UW-Whitewater Division Three school. Uh, like I said, one of my favorite guy, players in this class. 
he has a lot of versatility in that he can play pretty much any scheme. If you want to run a power scheme, he's got power at the point of attack. Um, he's not the biggest guy, but he knows how to use that leverage to his advantage. And he can just bully people in the run game. If you want to run a zone scheme, he has the mobility and the, and the, uh, you know, mindset of knowing how to get into position and, and using, you know, leverage to his advantage to get in the right spot in zone blocking schemes as well. So Quinn Miners, I, I think he's a guy that can play guard or center. He's got a lot of athletic potential. We saw at his pro day that I think he had nearly a perfect relative athletic score, uh, similar to Creed, Creed Humphrey. So uh, this guy's just a great athlete, uh, has a lot of potential here. And it's really just about can he adjust to the NFL level, but he adjusted well at the senior bowl. So I'm not really worried about that. I think Quinn Miners on day two of the draft, he's going to be a great find for a team looking for a versatile piece in their interior there. And number five for me, Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State. I was kind of struggling here because there are a bunch of guys um, that I was considering at this number five spot. I uh, kind of mentioned one of my guys there, uh, Ben Cleveland out of Georgia. He's another guy I was considering. Uh, Trey Smith out of Tennessee was another player. But Wyatt Davis, I just think he's a safe pick. He's a big mauler in the interior right guard, like you kind of said. The injury is a little bit concerning. He might not be ready to play right away, but – uh, you know, if you're drafting these guys, you're drafting them for two, three, four, or five years down the road. I think teams are going to be willing to bypass that because Davis has really good tape. And I think he's a guy that's going to be, when he is healthy, a guy who's going to be ready to start right away on day one. Yeah, Quinn RS to me is very interesting because I think this is one of the first years that we've seen a guy of his caliber again a d3 guy a guy you typically would not expect to make it to the nfl be ranked as high as he is but i think for me what's interesting regarding him just as a prospect is the fact that like all right he's probably going to be the best player ever to come out of uh whitewater wisconsin he's just played against a lot of smaller competition and so for that brings me the question that I have for him is this is like, how is that small playing against a smaller competition? How is that going to translate over to the next level? And then I just think right now with where he's at, he just is kind of a raw prospect, but there is just a lot to work with there. And with the right coaching, then he's going to, I think that he does have the potential to develop into a really solid starter. Yeah, I think the biggest question mark for me with Miners is how is he going to adjust to more pass-happy offenses because uh, Whitewater, they're such a dominant program at their level that they don't really pass the ball out. They're a run-heavy team, so he has a lot of experience run blocking. He's dominant in that aspect of things. Uh, he held up well overall, I thought, the senior bowl in pass protection, the one-on-one -on -one drills, but he's going to be asked to do a lot more of that. You know, some of that can be uh, mitigate a little bit if he's playing at center because a lot of times at center you're not getting one-on-one -on -one blocks it's usually usually you're a guy who's not blocking anybody you're just asked to help out your guards on either side of you um, in pass protection but that could be something that could be a bit of an issue here um, but you know Miners he's a guy that I just fell in love with as a prospect I think he's a guy that it would sadden me if he went to anywhere in the NFC North because I just couldn't fathom having the Bears face him twice a year he's just one of those pick where you know, I would love to have him in the Bears uniform, but I definitely do not want him anywhere near the rest of the division. That's for sure. Yeah, he's going to be interesting because I think right now, if I were to project him as a prospect, I mean, I would say he's probably going to be a day two pick. And so from that perspective, you look at it and you realize like, okay, 
what team is he going to go? Is the team going to be confident enough to pull the trigger on him knowing that, okay, he went to a smaller school. The tape was really good. This is a player who, again, we really didn't seem to hear much about until the senior bowl rolled around. I mean, we knew who he was as a player, but really kind of blew up at the senior bowl. And all of a sudden, mid-January, early February, everyone's talking about him. Now it's just going to come down to what team is willing to pull the trigger on him and then just patiently let him develop. Yeah, absolutely. And that team's the Bears. Uh, I would be very happy about that. But uh, not to get too off topic here, uh, talk to me about your guy, Ben Cleveland, here. Uh, I think he was your number four interior offensive line because Ben Cleveland's a guy that's very interesting for me because, I mean, the first thing you notice about him is that this guy is huge as a just a behemoth man in general. I think he stands about 6'6, six, six, uh, 350 pounds or something like that. You want, he was down to senior bowl as well. You just see him, he's just bigger than everybody else out there just like it looked like Bigfoot like just walked on a football field and he's just you know walking around with all these under like little kids it seems like at times like he's just so massive as a player um you know but the thing is he can move a little bit as well so are those some of the things that you're looking for when you watch him play um at Georgia absolutely he's able to move but then you look at some of the other traits that he has and just some other aspects of his game. You're getting a guy, if you draft Ben Cleveland, a player who is really nasty as a mindset needed to play offensive lineman at a high level in the NFL is really strong and powerful as well. And then he's just really, really competitive because when I do research on these guys, it's like you try to go back to their first year in college and it's just like, okay, the guy has consistently been praised, right? Obviously, he's only played right guard in the Georgia offense, but just a really solid, excellent all-around player that I think is going to be, when we look back at this offensive line class in a couple of years, I think Cleveland's going to be one of the best players. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a good time then to uh, transition to our sleepers there here because there's another big uh offensive lineman I think is on your rare too. Tell us a little bit about Deontay Brown, your sleeper here. Deontay Brown's very interesting because I, I know I was in Mobile, but I know you were down there and I believe that he was actually at the senior bowl. I consider him a sleeper because ultimately you look at it, it's just like he was super aggressive, a really aggressive player in the run game, has got good athleticism and then everyone gets so caught up in, oh, Deontay Brown's so good in the run game. They tend to forget sometimes that he is really smart in pass protection, right? When you look at the times in 2020, right, and just in the past that Alabama was kind of adjusting things up at the line of scrimmage, you saw that Brown was among some of the first guys to shift. Now, one of the red flags I do have about Brown is this, is that – at the next level, is he only going to be a guard or does he have what it takes to play center? Because I think that when we look at interior offensive line in the NFL today, we realize that just because these guys played one position in college when they're drafted to a specific team, you need to have the skill set to play left guard, right guard, or even center. And so for me, when it comes to Brown, that's the biggest question mark I have about him is, is he going to be able to go ahead and make a position switch effectively if he's asked to do so in the, at the next level. And then he has had a bit of an injury history. I believe like he injured his shoulder. I think it was either him or his teammate Landon Dickerson that also had some knee injuries as well at Alabama. And so when we don't necessarily have the full medicals, those are also things that you have to take into account when you're going to draft Deontay Brown. 
yeah, I'm, I'm going to get this out of the way here because uh, Deontay Brown, spoiler alert here, he's my overhyped prospect in this class. So I'll just get this out of the way on Deontay Brown because there are some reasons to like him uh, if you're running a specific scheme because, I mean, just similar to Ben Cleveland, this guy's a massive dude. Like, he's just like 350, 360 pounds, just huge. And, and I was there at the Senior Bowl, like you said. And, uh, I mean, you can notice that right away. This guy's just a massive human being. Um, and when he gets his full weight going on a player, I mean, they're, they're along for the ride. There's nothing they can do there. So uh, Deontay Brown, he does have some ability, I, I think, to be a solid player at the NFL. But the reason why I, uh, I'm a little bit lower on him than most is uh, I think he's a very scheme-specific player. You kind of mentioned the lack of versatility, which might be a detriment to him at the next level. But I just think the lack of scheme versatility is a bigger issue because he is built perfectly for a power gap scheme. Uh, with his physical profile, but can he run, you know, outside zone? Can he pull at a high level? I'm not too sure because you watch him and the lack of athleticism, athleticism in space is a little bit of an issue. There was a clip during the senior bowl game where he was out there trying to uh, get out there to block on the screen. And he just couldn't get out there um, whatsoever on the screen. Um, and, those are some of the things that I worry about with him because he's great in a phone booth. Um, that that's for sure. But, you know, disappointed me a little bit in the one-on-ones and pass protection, the lack of mobility outside is kind of worrisome for me. He, like you mentioned, you hit on a lot of concerns there. And so ultimately with him, it's just like, if he gets into the right system, he's going to be in a situation where I think the best potential is going to be brought out of him. But I would also say this, that there are enough red flags there where I totally understand why you have him as the overhyped guy. And there are times where it's just like he gets a bit too aggressive that I think can tend to hurt him. But just at the next level, if he's able to be coached up properly, I do think that for Brown, the sky's kind of the limit. Yeah, the upside is definitely there. And that, that's definitely that something that shouldn't be overlooked. There is a lot of upside with Brown's game. I think scheme and fit is going to be big for him at the next level. Um, speaking of my sleeper here, a guy that maybe doesn't have the highest upside, but definitely has a good enough floor, I think, to uh, be a solid player in this league. And that's a guy that uh, from Notre Dame here, another Notre, Notre Dame guy for all those Golden Domers out there, uh, Robert Hainsey uh, out of Notre Dame here. He played right tackle at Notre Dame, but his best fit is probably going to be in the interior at guard in the NFL here. And some of the reasons that I like him as a sleeper in this class is because, like I said before, the upside isn't quite there of a Deontay Brown, who's kind of, you know, hit or miss, I think, for a lot of people in this class. Hainsey is just very solid, though, all around. And I think, you know, his lack of athleticism does show up when he's playing on the edge there at tackle. But if you have him kick inside in a phone booth there, that's not much of an issue. But the first thing to notice about him is he's very technically sound. You know, all these Notre Dame offensive, offensive linemen, that have come out of the NFL over the last five, seven years or so, all of them are extremely well coached. And that's some of the things that you see with Robert Hainsey, uh, knows how to use his hands, uh, knows when to punch, um, and just very technically sound with his footwork and all that stuff with his base, getting all that right. So that's the first thing he knows with Robert Hainsey. But in the interior there in the run game, he does a nice job, I think, of generating movement for the most part. Um, you know, I think he's perfect for for his own scheme as well, but he can do a little bit of power gap action as well. So Hainsey, I, I do like his fit at the next level. I think he'd actually be a very good fit in the bears offense. And one more thing on him is he does have versatility in the fact that 
at the senior bowl, he played a lot of center. So uh, he got some experience there to kind of snap and, and get used to that. I think that's something that could work for him at the next level because he had some nice reps at center in the senior bowl. Um, that's something that could be a nice addition, I think. And you're like, if you're a team like the bears who values that type of versatility, um, Hainsey could be a target there in those middle rounds, like fourth, fifth, sixth round there, because uh, yeah, his athletic profile isn't incredible, but he's just a solid, well-rounded player. And we know that the bears, they love their Notre Dame guys. You're right. The bears do love their Notre Dame guys. And these Notre Dame guys, they come with versatilities, the one trait that's just common amongst all their offensive linemen, because Alex Bars, I know, had split time playing at right tackle, played some right guard. I'm pretty sure he even played left guard for the Bears in 2020 at some point when James Daniels went down with his season-ending injury in week five. Hainsey's very interesting because you hit on the versatility aspect. I mean, yeah, this is a player that has played right tackle at Notre Dame, but I just think when we look at the measurables, being about six foot three, six foot four, right there around 300 pounds, he is a guy who I think will want to go ahead and kick inside. I think that there are times where you're going to look at some of his arm length, right? And you're going to be like, okay, is he really good enough to be a tackle? at the next level because we know that teams they want arm length in tackles especially in the modern nfl with it being such a pass happy league and i think that one thing that hainsey could definitely work on is just adding some more strength right like functional strength to his game and i think that that's just going to come with when he does get to the nfl and teams are having him lift and seeing hey we view you as a guy that right now is a low-end starter for us probably a backup your first year or two but if you can add some strength to your frame and you can maintain it without kind of losing any of the technique or anything you learned while in college or not overly damaging your skill set, you can be a player that can play in this league for a really long time. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think Haynes is a guy that is ever going to be a pro bowler or a standout for your offensive line in any respect, but uh, he just strikes me as a guy that's going to be in the NFL for a long time and, uh, play a variety of different roles for your offenses. And those guys are pretty valuable on day three of this draft, I think. Uh, so we've gone over my two guys here, my sleeper and our overhyped guy. Who is your overhyped player in this class? My overhyped guy, and I know he's one of the top five guys on your list. And for whatever reason, by a lot of people, he seems to be the consensus interior offensive lineman, but it's Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. I understand the versatility aspect of things. Listen, he did play left tackle. He did play interior offensive line. That is going to come in handy when he is playing in the NFL at the next level. But the reason I label him as an overrated player is because I just think that to me, he is far better in the running game than he is in the passing game. And I think that when we talk about a guy that, has played both left tackle as well as interior offensive line. If you project this guy to be a left tackle, you need to have really good arm length. And I just don't see it for Hainsey. He kind of reminds me, I'm sorry, not Hainsey, Vera Tucker. He kind of reminds me a bit of Jonah Williams from Alabama coming out a couple of years ago in the sense that everyone viewed him as being the consensus number one offensive tackle or the consensus number one left tackle. But then there are also questions about arm length is he just better suited to kick inside the left guard? And I think that that's the thing with Vera Tucker that I have. And so ultimately when I look at him, I'm not saying he's a bad player. He does have really good footwork as well, by the way, he's really good as a run blocker, but if I'm going to invest in a left tackle, I want the guy to be a top tier 
top tier player when it comes to pass protection because again that's why you have a franchise caliber left tackle that's why you pay big money to a left tackle because his biggest area where he excels the most is protecting a quarterback especially in the passing game yeah i do have questions for vera tucker if you're planning on playing him at left tackle i do not think that is his uh most ideal role in the nfl uh, maybe he get he could get by there for a few games if like you have a bunch of injury problems on your offensive line and you just need somebody at left tackle to kind of just like hold the fort down for a few games. I mean, we kind of saw that with the Cowboys, for instance, with Zach Martin. He had to carry out the right tackle uh, for the better part of the end of their season there because they just had so many injuries on their offensive line. Uh, and Zach Martin, you know, he has the versatility to kind of make that work. I think Vera Tucker is kind of similar in that regard where you do not want to be a full-time starter there, but if you need him to kick outside in a pinch, he could make it work for you for a little bit. So, but I think like you said, pass protection, it's a big deal for him on the edge. I'm not as concerned about it uh, in the interior. I think he can kind of get away with that lack of arm length in the interior there. But like you said, his run blocking, it's uh, one of the reasons why he's my number one guy is his run blocking is just fantastic. And like I said, uh, he's one of the most athletic offensive linemen in this class in terms of getting to the second level and getting those reach blocks done and, and doing all those things. And those are stuff that are hard to find, I think, uh, for some of these guys. So that's why he's my number one guy. But I can definitely see if you're looking through him, looking at him through the lens of a tackle, uh, that could be problematic because, like you said, you want pass protectors first. And uh, if you don't have the length to kind of match with these edge rushers at the next level, I mean, that's not, that's not going to work. It definitely isn't, and I think when we look at a lot of these edge rushers as well, but then you look at a lot of these really good left tackles, you have to realize one thing, is that a lot of the really good left tackles, arm length has never been a question for them when they were going through their pre-draft processes. And so ultimately when I look at it, I realize, all right, well, is a team confident enough to kick Vera Tucker out to left tackle? Because if you are, I think you're rolling the dice on him where – for example, it's like with the Bears, right? So they drafted James Daniels a couple of years ago, and then they tried the experiment at center. And the experiment at center was a total disaster. So you move him back to left guard, where he excelled as a rookie in 2018. And now you see him in 2020 when he was starting four or five games, he did excel as well. And so when you, it's just overall, when it comes down to these offensive linemen, what it is, is this is just because they excel at one game in college, when you get to the next level where you are playing, bigger, faster, stronger defensive linemen, you are playing guys who are some of the best in their NFL than at their respective positions. You're just better off kicking them and switching them to a different position on the offensive line to maximize their talent. Yeah, absolutely. And and, uh, speaking of the Bears, I think this is a good time to get to our last section here for uh, this preview. And that's breaking out what the Bears should be doing. You're talking about Daniels and moving him around that's going to be a big discussion i think for the bears as we go into this offseason because or i should say as we go into training camp because the interior of the offensive line is still kind of unsettled for the bears which it's kind of weird they haven't really made many additions i mean they obviously they signed elijah wilkinson as a backup and they brought jermaine effetti back but i'm expecting effetti to be a right tackle for them and i'm expecting wilkinson to be the swing tackle on this team so they're probably not starters the way I see it right now, you said it's looking like Whitehair will start at left guard just because he played so well there uh, to end the year. You don't want to move him out of that spot because he played at a borderline all pro level there to end the year at left guard. So I don't think you want to move him and make that position worse. 
Uh, they put him back at center where he does have his struggles at, from time to time. Uh, Sam Mustafer, it looks like he's probably going to be the starter here, though, if they don't make any additions here. So uh, under, undrafted guy who did well enough to end the year there for them. I, I guess they may feel comfortable with him as a starter there in the short term, but I see Daniels probably kicking over the right guard here as this kind of plays out right now, I do not see them uh, working him back in at center, even though I think he could be very good there. But like you said before, when they played him at center, it was just, it was not good. Uh, and then you have Alex Bars. I think he provides solid depth at all three positions in the interior there. You like that. Uh, they drafted Arlington Hambright uh, last year. Um, so maybe he can develop into something, but seventh round pick, you're not really banking on him being anything. Um, so that's basically what your depth is. And obviously Wilkinson can kind of work in there as well. Cause I think he's better off at guard, but he can't play some tackles well. So that's what the rotation looks like in the interior for the bears as of right now. So when I'm looking at this thing here, you said, while offensive tackles should definitely be prioritized first for the bears. I, I think uh, getting another interior guy here could do some wonders. I think for this offensive line, because uh, they still need, in my opinion, a little bit more talent, uh, in this portion of, of the offensive line. They do need more talent. And if you remember the theme of 2020, the entire offseason was competition. And I still think the Bears need to create more competition because, okay, Stan Mustafir and Alex Bars were serviceable. We know that. But are they really good enough to start 16 games? I'm not so sure. And then you bring back Jermaine Fetty. Then you sign Elijah Wilkinson. You moved on from Bobby Massey. So just when you look at the starting five overall, I mean – you have question marks every single position, but really Cody White here is your best offensive lineman right now. And I think when we look at this, let's look at Ryan Pace's draft history. What has he done? He's drafted two offensive linemen on day two, and that's been Cody White here, and that's been James Daniels, both in the second round. When I look at that, it kind of signals to me that if you keep your first round pick, even if you trade up for a quarterback and you some way somehow manage to keep that second round pick as well. Maybe that's where you go ahead and you select one of the interior offensive linemen. Maybe that's where you add a guy like a Creed Humphrey or a Ben Cleveland, or even if someone like Wyatt Davis is there, because I do think that this is the type of draft where you are going to see the interior offensive linemen fly off the boards and you are 110% right. Offensive tackle investing in the edges should always be your number one priority. But if, the Bears don't take a guy like Christian Derisaw or Rashawn Slater, one of those guys isn't there, then kind of go ahead and pivot and just build out the interior of the offensive line. And I will say this, that the Cowboys kind of provided a model for the Bears with this, just in the sense that they went to a couple drafts where they drafted guys like Zach Martin, Tyron Smith, Leo Collins, I believe as well. But they drafted a couple guys over the course of two to three years. What had then happened is this, is that they were pretty much set and they had one of the best starting five in the NFL for what seemed like for forever. And the bears need to follow that same model. This is the draft where you're going to go ahead and you build out your offensive line. And then it's not going to be a problem that you have to worry about for the next couple of years. It, it would certainly be nice. I'd not have to worry about that offensive line for once with the bears, because uh, they've had a couple good units here in the past over the last decade or so, but just not a lot of consistency from a year to year basis, which like you said, some of that goes back to just either not investing properly or enough in the unit um, in the draft or just misidentifying talent and uh, wasting resources on it. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed. You know, when I'm looking at the interior group specifically, I still think getting a stud center could do a lot for this offense. And 
you know, you kind of mentioned it. Mustafer, you know, I thought he played admirably was the way I described it last year, but he is not a long-term center. Um, or I should say a long-term starter. I think he's fine as a backup that can kind of go in for a few games and uh, you, you're not worried about him, you know, being terrible out there, but uh, he is not a long-term starter for you over not only a 17 game season, but year to year, he's not a guy that I want to rely on as my long-term piece there. So I think day two uh, could be a good option or a good way to get good value here, but they could even get a guy with their fifth round pick. I think like uh, Robert Haynes is a guy that has routinely been available to me in mock drafts in the fifth round. So maybe you wait a little bit and get a guy in that area of the draft there um, to kind of address that position because you can find interior offensive linemen late in the draft. Um, That's kind of, you know, in the fourth, fifth round is kind of the sweet spot to get these guys because offensive tackles because they're going to be the top priority they're going to go early and often uh in the first two days of the draft and that's where you see a lot of these interior guys fall um into day three here and that's where you get good value on some of these guys because i think nfl teams still view it and i kind of view it the same way that you know you can find good value on interior guys later on you can get it's easier to get cheaper value for these guys uh because you know they're they're not on an island as much and pass protection so it's a lot easier to kind of uh manage that there if they have issues with their pass protection uh, from that standpoint there um and in the interior there it's a lot about teamwork and scheme fit and a lot of that stuff rather than it is about just pure physical talent so uh you know it could be something to where you know maybe they don't address this early on but i i would like to see them invest at least one draft pick you know at least on day three to kind of just add some more competition to the unit because I, I would like to see the center position upgraded. Um, maybe it won't happen in this draft just because they just don't have enough picks for it. But um, yeah, I, I would like to see a little bit more talent there added to this group. I definitely agree. So you do have to look at scheme fit. And so for th- along with kind of physical talent as well, but more so scheme fit and just overall player skill set. I think for the Bears, that's just ultimately what it's going to come down to. It's just like, what are your priorities? Because yeah, you moved on from Kyle Fuller. Yeah, you're finally investing into the offensive side of the ball, something that should have been done last offseason anyway, as well as the 2019 offseason. And so now all of a sudden you begin to see, are we seeing a bit of a mini rebuild under of the offensive side of the ball under Matt Nagy here? And I think that where it's going to start is the offensive line, because we also have to keep something in mind, is that Matt Nagy was with the Chiefs as the offensive coordinator there. And there, there was a point where in Kansas City, they were selecting at least one offensive lineman in every single year's draft. And so I think from 2012 to like 2018, there was only like one year where they didn't select an offensive lineman at some point in the draft, whether it was on day one, two, or three. And I think that we are probably going to see Chicago follow that same template where it may not be a high pick. History, obviously, like I mentioned, tells us that Ryan Pace is going to be picking an offensive lineman high in the second round. But then also you look at just the value and the depth of this class. There are enough quality options to go around for everyone. And so for me, my personal opinion is that if the bears go into this draft and they don't come away with an offensive lineman does not have to be one of the top five guys listed, especially on the interior, it is going to kind of be a bit disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. Offensive line should definitely be a, a priority in this draft. They have to add some more young talent to that group just as a whole um, in general. Um, I will say this about Matt Nagy come from the Kansas City Chiefs tree, though. You know, Kansas City's had a little bit of a tradition here where they don't mind uh, kind of 
going through centers there, they are willing to let centers leave in free agency. They're willing to not invest a ton of resources, resources at the center position. So, you know, Matt Nagy may see it to where, you know, he thinks he can get away with Sam Musfer at that center spot and be willing to address other needs elsewhere. I'm not, I'm not saying that is what they're thinking right now, but it is something to keep in mind because Kansas City, they do run things a little bit differently with their centers there. Um, they don't invest a lot into that position for some reason. Like they let, like they had Rodney Hudson, Hudson there, one of the best centers in the football for the past decade or so. They, they could have signed him and they let him go to get a big contract elsewhere within the, within the, the division. So uh, they are, for whatever reason, that system, they don't value the center position as much. So that'll be something interesting to keep in mind when we talk about Sam Mustafer here. Uh, but we'll see what happens at the end of the day. I think the Bears, they do have a need here. They do need to address this. Maybe not early on, but certainly on day three, that's where I think Bears should be looking for uh, these type of talents there, guys that could provide them, you know, with good value here in that portion of the draft. All right. I, I think this is a good time to wrap things up here. You said uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter. If you haven't already at picks for pace, uh, give us a follow there and keep updated on all of what we're doing here um, at picks for pace podcast. You said, where can they follow you on Twitter and find your work? Yeah, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at, Usaid Koshal, check out my work on the Bear Report as well. I just dropped a couple scouting reports on tight ends Pat Freermuth and Brevin Jordan. Go check those out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at AJ Freeman25 and find my work at the Bear Report as well. Uh, we want to uh, thank our listeners once again for tuning in on all on all uh, podcasting networks here. Uh, we are getting closer and closer to the NFL draft, and that means we're Hopefully going to be finishing up our uh, position previews soon. So uh, keep an eye out for that. We're going to be keeping those coming over the next couple of weeks or so uh, to get those done for you guys. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, enjoy the weekend, Bears fans. Bear down. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.